Is he creating a farm team for future supernatural recurring characters? It's V'ger, please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your loving father, who will go on to become the king of hell, Peter. Before we actually start talking about the episode, I think we have something to uh, apologize for on this show, Peter, to to our international audience, which is actually most of our audience. Last week, we uh, we titled our episode Harry's Canadian Girlfriend after you dropped the perfect joke regarding a description of Ensign Ballard and what, what she kind of felt like in the episode, except we didn't know that that joke does not translate <laughs> like at all. We have our Australian listeners who are like, what the fuck does Canadian girlfriend mean? Like, do you guys not like women from Canada? What's the problem? Are you guys being racist? What is this? Can you be racist to Canadians? I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> So, yeah, Canadian girlfriend, uh, for those of you not in the trauma support group, means a girlfriend who doesn't exist. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm dating a girl, but you wouldn't know her because she lives in Canada. And the world before the Internet, there was no way to verify. There was no Facebook or Instagram. So uh, what 13-year-old said was the truth as far as anyone could be sure. And that usually meant it was a lie. I have my own uh, redaction I have to issue here i made a statement during that podcast as well that i got called out on and that was i wasn't aware that i was into purple-headed bald chicks nathan has reminded me that there are purple asari and asari don't actually have hair from mass effect and okay I'm, yeah I mean, i'm sure it's fucking asari so yeah you can't you, i i mean i'm somewhat colorblind so they were always blue skinned Close aliens enough. to me but yeah, I I think we have to hard agree there. Yeah. So what did we watch this week, Peter? Well, I, I got one last piece of it. It's been a while since we've like really jerked people around in the beginning and, and talked about other stuff. That's true. I, I saw a post. Who was it? With the Eagle Moss thing. Oh, yeah. Someone was putting together a uh, uh, the D, right? Someone was putting together a D model in the, v, in the trauma support group. Devin. So he's posting pictures. He's got a couple in the cells and he's got the bridge module put together on this thing. I don't know. Eagle Moss, everything I knew about Eagle Moss was just little one off, you know, super big micro machines. But this is like a kit that you put together with lights and wire and it's all die cast metal and it's huge with like, what do you say, 15 inch nacelles, 10 and a half inch nacelles. This thing's going to be huge. It's going to weigh a ton. It looks cool as fuck. And, uh, Reminds me that I went up to my parents' house last weekend with my new van and I filled it up with all my crap that's been up rotting in the attic. And I came back with like all my my old stuff and like my Playmates, Star Trek spaceships. So I got the Dederodex and you got Enterprise. the whole collection. Yeah, dude, you want to talk about some nostalgia? It got me good. I saw you were uh, trolling on eBay for how much it must have been worth because you uh, were posing about the runabouts. I, I got some other juicy stuff. Uh, Silverhawks stuff. Crazy money. Like some of it's I'm not attached to whatever. And some of it might have even been bought with the intention of selling later. Like the Trek stuff, I'm not going to give up because that's important. Right. Of course. Um, also, you can buy most of that for like $35. So it's not... <laughs> It's not as collectible, sure. It's not a $1,000 Lego set. You're like, oh, goodbye. Um, 
but uh yeah it, it's cool seeing all that stuff because that was like my favorite and having that background i'm gonna have to hang it from the ceiling uh before my kids trash it but uh that's what's new and exciting in my life i found my old toys like anything that i had that was collectible aside from from literally magic the gathering cards mm-hmm. that was the only thing i was able to hang on to that that had any either sentimental or financial value from the past what happened your parents just throw it out uh no it got 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 by a garage sale while i was in college my mother you know god bless her right like love her to death but she uh she actually sold off all of my retro video games speaking of childhood tragedies (laughs) season six episode 18 child's play this was refreshingly not ass I guess so I would just initially describe it like this is a pretty good episode. I, there are problems. We'll get into them. And it also has a, a clear repeat of a major plot beat that you can't get away from. Uh, I'm excited to see what your criticisms are, because I was blown away by the quality of the story and plot development in this. I think this is a failure only in sequencing of where the episode is in the run. I think it's just a little too close to when the kids came on board. I think this just needed a little bit more space before they they sprung it on everybody. And second, the fact that it's the second episode of Star Trek Voyager where there's a successful use of a bioweapon against the Borg that Voyager questionably decides (laughs) to prevent being used. You know, it might be the second bioweapon, but it's probably the 18th or 19th time that something could have wiped the Borg out completely and Janeway puts the kibosh on it. Like I'm beyond even caring about Janeway's misplaced mercy towards the Borg at this point. Uh, I, I just season six has been so fucking rough that this really stands out. I think at this point as my front runner for the best episode of the season and one of the strongest entries I think I've seen out of the entire series. I understand what you're saying that they play the attachment to the crew card a little early for characters that have just been integrated and really only have one episode under their belt as far as like being a part of the crew. I'm going to counter that by saying you look at something like uh, Barge of the Damned, which was the Bolana Goes to Hell episode with terrible Doom CG, right? Of course, yes which was so late in the series that I felt like it was really misplaced there. So I think I'd rather have significant growth front loaded than try to play it after it's, you know, it misses its right point. Sure. You'd rather have it a little too early rather than let it ripen on the vine and and go bad. I get it. Uh, As, as I said, refreshingly not ass, I think, this is a, is a good episode. I think it is elevated by Jerry Ryan specifically. Turns out she's really fucking good. And when she gets an opportunity to actually invest herself as an actress in her character development and to give her a chance to sort of get into it and let the little details come through in her performance, it's great. And this is, I think, uh, a prime example of that. So we open up in this uh, patronizing Buster Science Fair. Uh, dollar store level Captain Picard Day shit. You know, like this is Captain Picard Day, except not nearly as cool. This is Janeway lost a bet and now she has to go judge a science fair for six kids. You've got uh, the Borg transplants. 
And then you've got uh, Naomi Wildman, who I was happy to forget had existed, but there she is with her, I don't know, CGI globe. I did like that Naomi just starts hanging out with these kids. Like, she's just like, yay, other children. (laughs) I'm going to have my scenes with them now. Like, that is actually kind of nice. Let me tell you what I want. Let me tell you about the missed beat here. All right. Uh, Not that Voyager cares about its own character development points, but uh, last I checked and it was, uh, what was it? Survival Instinct was at the Borg Quartet. Yeah, from season five. We saw some very overt race. Well, I don't know. No, no, that was from this season. God damn. Go on. God, was that? Yeah, that was second episode of this season. It feels like an eternity ago. You had some real overt. No, yeah. So so seven and nine would have put the flame out in that Borg racist routine we saw at her. She was she was very scared with some very strong preconceived notions about those Borg. But yeah, she, with as buddy buddy as she is with uh, seven, she should have no problem snuggling up with these Borg kids. So you've got the science fair. I think it's shitty. It's only available to the kids. I would have liked to see Neelix with his own direct entry. Some sort of a cheese, a sentient cheese that he had fermented. Oh, I mean, the dude is inspired how, how many incredible engineering feats by giving people coffee in the mess hall. Mm-hmm. He, he helped invent transwarp drive for Pete's sake. He did. Uh, who else could we have put in here that would have been a, a strong... Harry Kim, but he would have gotten clowned. <laughs> you know? I want to see the Equinox people and they're with a new use for space kitties. <laughs> Then the Equinox people want to enter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Janeway's like, no, you've done enough. You've You're had banned. enough science. You're banned from science. Banned for life. And they're no like, hell, we need no hell tech on this ship. Instead of crushing up these space kitties for warp juice, we've made a viable Viagra alternative that. <laughs> it's it's elder vampire and the. Uh, uh, the blonde the engineer blonde lady, lady. Yeah. And, you know, they really actually just had a bundt cake recipe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they're really trying to reform. It's we're not allowed. It's Tuvok trying to get in there with Lon's uh, genetically engineered plants that were going to increase oxygen production, and he's trying to like sneak it off as his own work. <laughs> the twins cloned potatoes. Uh, Mazzotti had essentially an ant colony. That is and- a Borg cube. Right, that is a cube with luminescent drones and a queen. To which Janeway's like, "I sense an, there is a there is a motif that you are having trouble letting go of." <laughs> mm-hmm. And they arrive over at uh, Echeb, who has created a gravimetric sensor array to be able to detect wormholes. Which Janeway's like, "Well, actually, this is useful. That's cool. Good job, bud." For your reward, you get uh, a new wardrobe of hip hop camo outfits. <laughs> he does look like he is about to drop the hottest track L.A. saw <laughs> in 1996, you know? And I mean, it's shitty Voyager civilian future clothes. But at the same time, it's not the worst I've seen. So I'm like, uh, OK, maybe if it's if it's not as audacious as a discount African king get up. Really, how bad is it? Dick graphics built into it. And I've just been reminded of the terrible Maquis 
uh, oh yeah, the uh, the rainforest cafe <laughs> uniforms they had. Been some real bad smoldering stuff. catcher guy with his with his chest protector. Mm-hmm. So she's impressed with what each has done, and the the episode starts really kind of honing in at that point of, hey, this kid's got potential. Uh, Janeway pulls Seven off, and uh, Seven's like he wants to put in shifts in astrometrics, and Janeway's like, well, that's too bad. It's not going to happen because we've somehow found his family. And he's going home. So the episode really focuses on Seven of Nine's parental instincts, maternal instincts, combined with her growing emotional maturity. That's really the main story beat here. She obviously is connected to these kids, each foremost among them. She is hesitant to let him go. And that starts off right away in this teaser scene because she says that's good news, but she says it in a way that is more emotional for her than we have ever seen, where there's like a a, a hesitance, a, a catch of emotion in her voice. She is clearly discomforted by the idea and it's delivered with in a, with more nuance than anyone ever gets to deliver on this show. This becomes a standout feature that there is a clear personal bias at play in all of Seven of Nine's official recommendations and actions she takes throughout the rest of this episode. Um, And one of the coolest parts of the episode is when Janeway will eventually call her out on her bullshit and say, you know, you're thinking with clouded judgment, you know, is, is this you talking about Icheb? Is this you talking about your own experiences with your parents like she just straight up fesses up to it and says uh, a little of both and it's even more empathetic emphatic than that because seven she gets i mean we're skipping ahead but it is probably it is i agree the best scene in the whole episode where they're having an escalating argument you know, Seven is challenging Janeway about this. Janeway is challenging her back and that, that, you know, she's being unreasonable about the circumstances that they're finding them in. And Seven's line is that anyone who puts their own goals above the safety of their children is irresponsible. That is what she says. And then Janeway says, are you talking about each parents? Or are you talking about your parents? And then she fires back. I'm talking, she just says both. And it's the first clear reference to what her parents did and how it endangered her and essentially created this horror show of a life that she experienced up to the point where Voyager was able to free her that we've had in the show. Yet it feels really earned in that moment because they've, we've had enough time and development with her that it, it makes sense now that she's like, yeah, I'm coming to terms with this bullshit in a way that uh, I've seems right like this was bullshit and i am not okay with seeing it happen to someone else and it's also her admitting weakness and backing off from this um i'm all science and business and Uh, perfect like she actually admits weakness a few different times in this episode and embraces her humanity by saying yes (laughs) i am being emotional and i am letting my judgment be clouded and i'm not perfect and that's that's big, big growth out of seven and nine. And it was good to see. So, you know, she's obviously pretty fucked up about the concept of letting each of go. Uh, he is all about space and exploration. 
astrometrics, high technology. He's got a knack for it. It's a good fit. There's a strong synergy there. Uh, but wouldn't you know it, the planet he is from <clears throat> is a bunch of uh, space farmers on a slightly more green version of Tatooine. Yes. Uh, with a, a really bombed out, rotted urban area. The matte painting, the matte painting, the matte painting, the matte painting they actually bust out for this is really cool. Fucking dope. And for those of us who were there for Best of Both Worlds, uh, I can't remember what the colony name was off the top of my head, but that's exactly what you're seeing here. You're seeing a crater where a colony used to be that the Borg probably just came by, scooped up. And this is what the Borg had done to the Federation outlier colonies prior to Wolf 359. And they take the next level with it to show what if there were some leftover people there? What if nature started to reclaim, you know, the urban areas? And what if like these people are trying to eke out a subsistence level existence kind of under the the thumb of the Borg without making themselves attractive to further interaction and assimilation, which now, that tracks with kind of what we've learned about the Borg that they're not like trying to just scoop up every single sentient. It's not worth their time. What's worth their time is technology and like critical mass of things to, to grow. assimilate. One of my favorite things that Voyager has done in regards to the Borg, uh, it was the revelation uh, that the Borg are not innovators. The Borg have lost the ability to create new things. They can only steal from others and incorporate that in there. Yes, so, the, the hive mind does not have ingenuity and it does not have intuition the same way that free thinking people do. And that is why they cannot innovate. They must absorb it from others and then use that. The episode does a great job framing Icheb's uh, family and the colony there is like simple and rustic with this misplaced sense of pride and kind of foolish, brazen attitude that they can somehow sway the Borg in any way. And all you see is like horses and like little farm pods and trash. It looks like a flea market in Fallout, right? Right. But these guys, they're they're so proud of all their hard work. And you just you look at them like fools and, you know, they subvert expectations very well towards the end of it. But the the Borg devastation is the real centerpiece there. And it's it, it looks great. That matte painting did a lot for the episode. As we have already teased in our opener, when we meet each parents, we are greeted by two guest stars. One, uh, I don't think is is famous the mother is played by tracy ellis uh but the father is played by mark shepherd who played plays crowley on supernatural was basically a main character as the show went on uh also was on battlestar galactica he was the lawyer on uh battlestar galactica that uh was baltar's lawyer in the trial in the third fourth season didn't he have a skeleton in his closet like literally or something uh, his cat was not alive that you see. Spoiler. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I just spoiled a 12 year old television show. But uh, yeah, the cat you see in the first episode he's in is walking around doesn't is dead. The dead cats in his bag because he's he's crazy. But, you know. So 
Also of note for Mark Shepard was his dad was in Voyager 2. That's a, that's yes. a father-son combo. His yes, dad, his... better known as a, a disembodied voice of power. Yeah, the, if if you're playing uh, Civilization uh, 6, uh, he's a disembodied voice of power. If you were watching Voyager, he was the space captain Ahab. In a pretty excellent episode. I, I can't remember the title of that one, but uh, he's got like the baseball glove for a face. It's the worst it was, prosthetic they've marched out in years. It was the only episode where we've where we've actually liked Naomi Wildman because it was Naomi and Seven had to save the ship because they're the only ones who didn't care about getting back home. Yeah. And also, I believe Seven shoots the join up in that one. one yes, of her but many she apologizes shoots. first. <laughs> she shoots Blada, but she's like, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's a Tuesday you know the rules pew 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 i got it there was a little scene where she had to go get her workplace shooting rifle out of her box <laughs> and go down engineering blast the joint up mm-hmm. it's on the uh, to-do list so crowley and his wife roll up and boy poor mark shepherd right like he is doing that american accent that every british actor tries to do you know, that is trying way too hard and therefore sounds like he's half a cowboy, half having a stroke. I didn't think it was that bad. It, I, it wasn't so bad that it was distracting, but it was definitely something I've heard before from actors who like are trying to quote unquote sound American and struggling. Uh, but he does a great job still. Um, surprisingly, he's the parent who's the l- l- less evil in this case. Who initially comes off as more evil. So uh, suffice it to say, Icheb wants nothing to do with any of this. He doesn't remember his parents. They're strangers. Uh, Voyager's his home. That's where his opportunities are. That's where his bread's buttered. And he does not want to go be uh, quasi-space Amish. And they kind of force it. You need to go meet him. The initial meeting doesn't go well. The parents are on a different page than he is. And Janeway goes, Hey, let let us bring him back up to the ship. Let's try and ease into this thing. Come on up. We'll do a dinner. And they start playing the, the classic tropes to bridge the gap, starting with um, the space cat, letting Amish mom use his dumpster fires to cook a traditional Renali meal. In between this is where we got the initial scene where they go into the briefing room and there's the tension between Seven and them, and that's when we get the Seven Janeway confrontation we've already talked about. But that happens there. So we got that kind of clear emotional beat from Seven. She's already unwilling. She doesn't want to tell him about, about it. Goes to goes to Janeway early in her quarters. This is like an episode where Janeway gets her sleep interrupted constantly. <laughs> like she she keeps, keeps getting woken up by Seven of Nine having different emotional crises. She... Was in the middle of reading a book with what appeared to be a rug pulled up on her and a very delicious looking platter of meat and cheese. I would not have thought that uh, Janeway was a big meat and cheese snacker, but I'm I'm glad to see she knows her way around a Triscuit. <laughs> but uh, it, you know, she she tells him and then they, we have the scene where she she calls out her own parents perfidy in their uh uh, sending their child into horrific danger with them and how much bullshit that was. I think this is a strong episode for Janeway. She doesn't come off as dumb or 
or foolish her advice or unreasonable like her or she's, yeah, she, yeah she 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 eventually she asks enough questions where it seems respectable her her uh recalcitrance to do anything rash seems reasonable yet eventually she is convincible based on evidence that the script thankfully actually lays out in a way where you're like you come along on the journey you know right um her advice to seven in a maternal role is well placed it's a good opportunity for her to back off some of the goofy ledges that she's been dangling off of lately um so Ichab likes the food and decides to go down and start checking the place out. His brother's like, hey, you want to play space baseball with us? And he's like, I don't remember. And they're like, oh, but you will. The father, Lucan, was that his name? Lucan? It's Crowley. <laughs> I'm not going to call him anything else. Yeah, his father, the king of hell, who initially seemed like the asshole, right? He's the one who's the first to like, kind of get his back up. When Seven starts getting a little aggressive, he's the one that like, just, you know, let us see our kids. Why are you still here? He also drops when he gets pushed for the first time, the first hint of where we end up with this plot, which is we're not as technologically backwards as you think. We do we do genetic engineering of our crops that will grow in our our fucking hellhole wasteland like we have science to do. Yeah, we might be doing it in what looks like a oil drill, but we do it, which is. Nice, because they kind of sprinkle these little hints in. And they and do it in a way where, like, who gives a fuck? Like, I, I want to see each of getting, you know, stanky with you about that. I don't care about your fucking corn, dude. Back off. Exactly. Uh, and it's but, all the more rewarding when they lay it out and you're like, oh, oh shit. shit. He, wa- <laughs> he wasn't full of shit. The scenes you get with each and his parents are pretty heartwarming, right? Like, there's a genuine connection there. I in particular, like the scene where they're sitting under the skylight window and he's pointing out um, constellations and kind of talking about, you know, why do your friends want to go back to Earth? And, oh, well, that's his, their home. And it's like, well, see, you, you've already completed that journey. Um, they do a nice job warming him back up. I like that in that scene, there's a sort of tension between the parents where Crowley is trying to, as we'll, as we will see more explicitly later, kind of influence his wife's thinking about what each of them's been through. And he actually like talks about like Voyager's got good people on it. Other people love him. And it's not just each of he's talking to, he's talking to his wife and we'll get the context of that essentially in the climax of the episode in a way that just makes it all feel a little bit more lived in and, and better plotted than we typically get out of that uh, Voyager episode, which was nice. It was, it was good to see him put in that kind of effort to sort of weave these, these little threads in. Um, backing up for a second here, this episode brought to you by teleplay by Raph green story by Paul Brown, who I'm not familiar with either of those two. And then uh, the guy who likes Voyager so much, his name's Mike feature. <laughs> Uh, a thoughtful direction through child's play quadrant. Mike Viger's got some chops to him. And as Joe pointed out before we started recording, we'll go heavy through the rest of six and seven. But uh, it was interesting to see the real lack of normal names, the the brands, the pillars, the who's the other guy, the There's good some... one that we like. 
that does his homework. Brian Fuller? Fuller's, yes. <laughs> yeah, Brian Fuller at this point is the script supervisor, I think. So he is influencing every script to a degree. Uh, he's not necessarily dry, directly writing each one, but he's sort of not, not the head writer, but he's sort of the writer um, corraller. <laughs> so he, it's hard to know exactly what episodes he's had more or less impact on unless um, Emory Alpha tells us. Um, but I, I like to think that these moments are, are helped along by Mr. Fuller's expertise. Pacing's good on this. It seems that there's a genuine conflict between Seven uh, wanting what's best for Icheb and begrudgingly having to come to the realization that he wants to be with his family. If you didn't have the job, if you weren't looking at a clock, if you didn't read the Netflix capsule and know there was something nefarious going on, I would say by the time Voyager departs, like it almost felt like a complete episode in and of itself with Seven having to you know, make her peace with leaving each of behind and, and complete with a goodbye on. episode in the, in the transporter bay. Yes. Like, like convincing too. Right. Yeah. When, when Tuvok's on his deathbed at the 12 minute mark, you know, Tuvok's not going to fucking die. Right. Stakes are so hard to establish in Voyager, but here you've got this new flimsy side character and uh, yeah, sure. See you later, man. They, like they convinced me it was, it was, it was a good sell. Another good sell was the scene that Seven had with Crowley on Voyager. So each of warming up to the planet. It's warming up to his parents. He wants to stay the night. So uh, Crowley comes up to Voyager to get a portable regeneration thing for each of his Borg parts. And they have tension. And then Crowley tries to bridge the gap between them by essentially thanking Seven for helping take care of him and, you know, they, they talk about the circumstances of Icheb's assimilation. Was that the Borg like swooped in on a new piece of technology while Icheb was like looking at it and exploring around without permission and got taken up with everybody else that was there. It's very believable. And, you know, they kind of end the scene with Seven seeming to emotionally sort of accept that I can give him back to you. You know, they they... They don't have that specifically in dialogue. It's all in, you know, she's standoffish. She's confrontational. And by the end of it, she's much more warm. She's got that kind of half smile. She makes it a, a, a joke about Icheb's willfulness and and that that shows her. Passing okay, I get, the torch. I get you. You get me. I can I can live with this. And that was that was a, another kind of brick in this this little edifice we've created of, of seven's character growth. So she's tucking the kids in. They've, they've, uh, they've parted ways. You had a heartfelt goodbye. Um, each superior intellect is going to be put to good use, helping this colony get its feet back underneath it. Uh, there's strong concern shown that the colony is in very close proximity to a trans warp node. And that's one of the real standoff points in this episode is Seven saying, you guys are like right on top of a Borg boom tube and you are going to get raided again. You need to maybe move. And they pull the classic Star Trek. This is our home. Nothing will ever move us. Uh, and that's what she takes major offense to initially. But 
they uh they go their separate ways and uh the other board kids are very lonely and moopy and she's tucking them into bed and they're you know to, to plug them in the wall uh the girl goes well you know what if he gets assimilated again and that's oh it's not gonna happen and, and then we get the breadcrumbs that something fucky is going on because each initial assimilation point was prior was 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 him solo in a ship up in space, which is absolutely not what this colony seems to be about as far as space travel and is explicitly uh, not what the father said was a situation on this. That leads seven down the path of investigating if Mazzotti's memories are true and starts to look into the records they got from the cube that they were on and everything else and, and calls Janeway in for their second late night emotional confide, confiding uh, scene and this is where seven starts to go through the evidence to suggest i think we've been had the line that's missing in this episode is Janeway being like the last time you called me to astrometrics and and rolled out your evidence i almost shot chakotay <laughs> <laughs> i've had about enough of your conspiracy theories seven i'm going to bed the uh, best part of this scene we've spoiled a bit, which is that as Seven explains what she thinks is going on, which is that they seem to put him in a ship to get assimilated on purpose and that there's something that they there's some questions they need to ask of, of them about what's going on is that she straight up admits I am emotionally compromised when it comes to each M. I am straight up completely admit cop to it however that doesn't mean i don't have a point here about the facts and that i'm gonna pitch it to you i'm gonna acknowledge my bias i'm gonna acknowledge i you know i don't want to be separated from each because i like the kid because we're both 20 (laughs) think about that for a minute too like because she's early 20s when she came on the show and i think you were saying like each was 20 something like imagine that being your co-star stepmommy and and being 20 with those hormones and you like that guy must have steel clad iron will to to keep his eyes where he does through these these scenes so it's funny you mentioned that first of all at this point jerry ryan's i think 31 32 you know it's year 2000 so she is she was in her 20s when she started on the show, but she's in her 30s now. Whatever. She's still beautiful. Doesn't matter. And the guy who played Echeb, whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Actually, there's a clip of him when he was at a convention with other Voyager people where he s- literally said that. <laughs> where he said, <laughs> I was my character was supposed to be in his teens. And there I am at 20 trying to read as a young teenager. And I'm like constantly not only in scenes with jerry ryan but you know they shoot everything close so i'm standing like very close to jerry ryan in a in 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 her skin tight outfit where i'm like cut using all of my brain injuries like don't have a boner don't have a boner boners are not professional we will not have a boner today so that struggle evidently was quite real for him i sympathize (laughs) i think we all do Here's where the uh, the episode starts getting great, right? Like solid, you know, it, it's a good Star Trek Voyager melodrama. I don't want you to leave. You're going to leave whatever. Now we start getting into the cool sci-fi part, right? Um, 
things aren't adding up. Janeway decides she's going to turn the ship around. Meanwhile, back on uh, Icheb's little house on the prairie, we get a real good argument between Crowley and his wife. And we're not really sure what they're arguing about at first. Uh, but Crowley's of the opinion that we were we already did the bad thing. This is our second chance. You know, we need let's back off the plan. We don't have to do this. He's our son. You see a lot of guilt coming through on him. And you see that he is arguably the good guy in this situation. But his wife is dead set on the fact that him coming back is a gift and a blessing that they would be fools to um, squander the opportunity that he was never meant to be. Uh, and, and they need to move forward with the plan. And the, the, the exact phrase the wife uses is she, he says he was born for this. And yeah, the emotions really coming from Crowley in the scene of like, I don't want to lose my son again. I, he does not like this. He is not okay with this, but whatever it is, it's still weighing on him enough that he is not going to resist his wife's demands. Like if she can't be convinced, he's not going to physically stop her. Icheb comes in, they grab him, whatever crazy Borg strength seven of nine has. Icheb does not. Uh, They get him in a sleeper hold and then come and jab him in the neck like Seska probing around in Chakotay's for some neck juices. <laughs> They're gassing him up with something. We'll later find out it's just a sedative. They knock him out and put him in a transport shuttle and off he goes. So by the time that Voyager arrives and hails, there's some concerned looks on each of parents' faces as they try and say, oh, well, he's not around. And Janeway wants to talk to him, this, that. They find out that he is not on the planet surface and that there's a little rinky dink transport heading out towards the uh, Borg transwarp node like a goat being put in front of the T-Rex paddock. And I thought there was a really cool note there where they find the transport and the transport is purposefully acting like it's like giving off a signal like it's going warp 9.8. When they said that, I was like, what the fuck? Like, that's faster than Voyager. How? Uh, oh, oh clever. yeah clever girl yeah there's there's spoofing <laughs> the warp drive that's that's neat so the jig is up right and we will come to find out as uh voyager speeds up uh and saves each we get another bright idea of transporting a photon torpedo onto another ship it's a sphere that shows up this time and i think that's the second time first time a normal sphere because that first one was in drone that was a tactical sphere but Sphere shows up, goes to suck it in. One second. Before we, we go to the actual conflict with the Borg, it is in the conversation with Crowley and the wife that the, they're like, he's fighting for his people and they suddenly all the pieces get put together. Where, you know, Voyager's like, what the fuck are you doing sitting about on a transport that can't possibly do shit? And uh, the, the pieces finally fall into place. They're like, oh, uh, when we found Icheb, the cube was all fucked up because of a, a genetically, you know, created disease. So that's what you you did the thing. You did the thing the other people we found did. You you put Space the disease. Turns. You put your disease in in your son, and you sent them off to be assimilated to fuck with the Borg. I see what you did. Like, 
And suddenly all of the little mentions of their expertise in doing genetic manipulation that they set up through the episode, suddenly you're like, oh, you sons of bitches. Like you, you, it, it does enough where it connects to a prior episode, right? Continuity. It connects to that, that thing. Like I told you, like they actually follow up on that. Crazy. Deal, yeah. And then not only that, but they just didn't hit you over the head with it during the episode. That that's what they're what they're gonna do here. But they give you enough that when they finally drop the bomb there at the end, you're like, ah, I see it and I hate it. And it's two steps too, because if my my initial thoughts were that somehow this colony had worked out a way where they were sending like tribute to the Borg, like, hey, don't raid us, like we made a new mp3 player we're putting a copy of this on a ship and you know like like the maiden chained to the rock for king kong to come and 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 rip off as as the sacrifice and it was Icheb who had volunteered to do it the first time no you find out it's a trojan horse and that they're they're sending them up the uh the space aids your first thought is okay well when they knocked him out that stuff they put in his neck it was was fresh poison and then yeah you find out no they didn't like infect him. He was bred from the ground up, genetically engineered to naturally produce this Borg poison. So, uh, you know, it's it's almost even more nefarious, I think, in in the big picture. It pays off that great line. He was born for this. You know, like it just ties up perfectly when they drop that piece of knowledge, because what you know, as as you're about to say, the uh, Borg sphere shows up. Snatches up both Voyager and the shuttle. Voyager manages to get Ichab off the shuttle and then comes up with the plan of why don't we just uh, transport a little bomby boo onto the uh, onto the transport and then detonate it once it's inside the sphere like, rather than ineffectively hitting its shields, which fortunately for our heroes works perfectly, damages the sphere enough that it doesn't want to trail after Voyager and they bounce. My criticism in that episode in that moment is like, oh, God, how lucky for Voyager that it had come up with the idea to turn around 40 seconds before the Borg actually. And like the timing's just a little too on the nose, I think. But dramatic timing in any in any kind of dramatic television, right? Like that's just always a thing. And I think that's okay. Um. A lot of interesting stuff happens in those snap decisions and credit to the script for me not stopping to really question and criticize until we're going through on a nitpick. Like in the heat of the moment, I was right there with Janeway on all of her decisions. Nothing seemed over needlessly dangerous. It all seemed justified. Uh, Looking back on it, as you already pointed out, yes, this is yet another example of Janeway potentially saving the Borg from a catastrophic event. And I don't know, so, someone brings it up. I don't know if it's Crowley and his family. I don't know if maybe it's Tuvok. But someone out there says, like, you don't have any right to interfere with this. Like, this is beyond the scope of your authority and you need to mind your own fucking business. And it's like, that I mean, I, there, that seems like even beyond like Necheyev's, uh directive of find a way to fuck the Borg up and make it happen. Like this is this is some pretty cut and dry meddling that Voyager is doing in another species uh, political action. 
they offer no justification whatsoever for Voyager interfering with this, aside from this is morally repugnant to us and we like each of them, so fuck you. <laughs> um, and this is this is, I think, the episode's biggest failing is that it's it's part 162 of why does Voyager continue to just do everything in their power to not fuck the Borg up? And it, it's it's not something that needed too much extra work to make sense. It could have been that Seven of Nine does a quick analysis and shows because they already like got a sample of you know the the specific genetic uh, disease that that Egypt has that they're not going to be as affected by it anymore and they're going to continue to adapt until it's ineffective. I mean, then we're talking two or three lines of dialogue could have made for a perfect justification for why they involve themselves without it seeming unreasonable. But it, if you're really going to game the scenario out, if you're Janeway and you're actually like legit a Starfleet captain trying to do legit Starfleet captain things, and you think this kid getting assimilated might actually damage the Borg significantly, you fucking let that shit happen. Absolutely. Ten times out of ten. Same, by the way, with uh, the space turns and Seven of Nine and Infinite Regress. Like, yeah, like I like Seven of Nine, but I really hate all the billions of people who are going to die or be assimilated because of the fucking Borg. So, uh, yeah, fuck them. Needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Yeah. Like, sorry, Seven, you uh, you're going down. Going down I for liked, good reason, though. I like to follow up kind of like <clears throat> the closure point where you've got each uh, in astrometrics and seven. Like, you know, it's not OK what your parents did. Uh, I like him not jumping to condemn them. And I like yeah. the the muddy he's, waters. He's very, like, emo- he's very emotionally stable about the whole thing. He's like, oh, this was actually pretty ingenious. <laughs> their part. Like, it sucks, but I get it. <laughs> being able to look at things uh, with with perfect clarity and hindsight like maybe you should have just stayed with your parents and poisoned the borg so you don't have to be a part of picard getting your face ripped open like <laughs> there there were some mistakes made here i i, I don't want to go down the picard rabbit hole but these episodes the seven development kind of push into this echeb angle like the stuff Picard does is real dirty and that. Yeah. Now, now you're starting. It's going to get worse, by the way. Like there's, of course, there's more fantastic seven of nine each content to come. Some of the, it's just all, I think in season seven, but there's a reason why seven of nine becomes a fan favorite character. And it's, you're starting to see it more and more because yeah, seasons four and five, she's the sex object that Rick Berman hired but they figure out how good she is and they start using her as a character more effectively. And because of a, a key part of that is linked to all this stuff with each and her maturity into becoming this mother figure to him and the other kids that when they went where they went with that Picard episode, like I said, when that Picard episode starts and you see each literally being tortured to death, and you see seven of nine coming in with the assault rifle shooting up the joint like you do when you're seven of nine. You're like, damn, the stakes of this are super high. What the fuck is going to happen next? This is a big fucking deal. That's why, like, 
I'm like shocked that this was happening. And then the rest of that episode is just such dog shit. Was that the Russian? Was that the, uh, the, the French circus eye patch one? Oh yeah. Yeah, it was. It was the one where they had the, the, I don't want to veto. 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 The damn, like that's really what caused me to just be off that show. You know, where I just didn't want to watch it with you anymore. Where I'm like, that was disgusting. Like, I can't believe they just did Voyager and Seven of Nine and eat well, each of even that dirty by doing that to them. That was that was god awful. And so, and, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Now, I I I want to stop talking about the card. <laughs> I really, I'm your interruption is my invitation to not talk about that show anymore. Please, I proceed. wanted to see a fallout in this where you see an escalation of unavoidable things that both sides have brought in the colony using this, um, this spoofed warp drive to bait Borg out of the trans warp node, uh, Voyager making the active decision. We are going to sabotage this trap so that the Borg do not infect again. And now there's the Borg present. And hey, look, what's going on at this colony over here? It's been a while since we've swung through that. And Voyager having to watch as uh, each colony gets raided by the Borg yet again. And it's just all the hands are dirty. I know that's not what we get out of Voyager, but I mean, it, it, this really seemed like the time to just highlight the fact like you don't play with fire because everybody gets burned. The Borg is an elemental force is obviously the preferred method in in which they should have always been dealt. Right. That's, that's our, our fucking beef with Voyager's use of the Borg as they turn them into clowns. And this kind of returns us more back to the Borg or a force of nature that you uh, avoid if, if at all possible. And if you can, you bat down the hatches and hope for the best because it might just take everything out and there's nothing you can do. So for that, it, it definitely gets extra points for me as well. And I think your, your point that this might be the best episode of the season so far is, is worthy. We'll see if that holds up because as I alluded to last week, we are going to get into higher quality density episodes here in the last uh, fourth of the season. So it could be that it gets displaced, but at the moment I definitely put it in the pole position at least. Yeah, I like this one a lot. This is a uh, A plus material for me, and um, all of a sudden the extra children actors laying around the place are pulling their own weight. Especially the the girl Mazzotti. You called that out. Last I like week. her. I like, I like her, her too. I like her more than Naomi Wildman. I hate Naomi Wildman, so it's easy to like her. But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe she'll push her out an airlock or something. What are we watching next week, though? Season six, episode in nineteen or twenty. This was 19. Yeah. I fucked up. Uh, Season six, episode 19 or 20, Good Shepherd. And we see (laughs) Seven standing there in front of someone's mugshot. In Seven of Nine's assessment of shipwide efficacy, efficiency, she brings attention to three black sheep crew members who've slipped through the cracks. This is Voyager's stab at a Lower Decks episode. Uh, Not Lower Decks, the comedy show, Lower Decks, the TNG episode. And I think that it actually is 
kind of cool because it kind of tells you stories of people who wind up in Starfleet for reasons that are not the general hero Starfleet officer reasons. There's the whole plot that gets built around that. But the, the coolest part is that these guys that are on the ship that got stuck in the Delta Quadrant, you know, that have no business fucking being there. <laughs> and it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a unique take, and I like it. I'm excited for it. It's got I got some shades of uh, conspiracy theory and seven getting a little too nosy for other people's good. But uh, I, I'm feeling what you're putting down here. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, this is this is a good one. Um, I'm looking through what comes after Live fast and prospers after that, which is another favorite of mine personally. Mute. Oh, man. Muse. Oh, OK. Yeah. Season six is a lot. It's kind of end strong here, man. It's getting very strong. Oh yeah! Wow. Never mind. Fury. Whew. You got some. You got some treats in front of you, buddy. Good because I've had to eat a lot of poop to get here. <laughs> After all the all the piles and piles of shit that this series has handed you this season, it deserves Ocean. to reward you. Oceans of it. All right. Well, thank you to our friends that have come along on this journey, including all of you from overseas. We promise to explain our regional American humor a little bit more. Uh, next time around and uh, we'll see you next week.